The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hey, Aaron, uh, thanks for, for doing this. Yeah, sure. Uh, do appreciate you coming on. Um, is it all right if we talk a little politics to start? Yeah, um, I am uh, at your service. Okay, great. All right, so I'll just queue up the intro and then we can jump right in. Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast. This is Alex Kantrowitz, and joining us today is Box CEO Aaron Levy. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Hey, thanks for uh, having me, Alex. My pleasure. You know, usually I would go up with an intro telling everybody about uh, who the guest is, but I feel like everyone knows you. And it's kind of interesting that you've made being an enterprise CEO, enterprise technology CEO cool. How have you done that? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, Well, I, I appreciate the uh, the thought that I've done that. So, uh, so that's great news. Um, uh, you know, I think, I, I think, uh, probably more than anything, what's, what's happening in the world. And, and we just happen to be early on this trend is that, um, people inside of business want the same level of, of user experience and the same quality of software in their workplace as they have in their, their home lives. And this idea of, you know, when you when you are at home, you can use amazing products from Apple and Facebook and Google, but then you go into work and you're just using legacy enterprise software that makes your life suck. Like those days are are obviously over, and that doesn't mean that all companies on the planet are using all these modern tools. But I think the writing is on the wall that the future of enterprise software has to be consumer grade applications, simple experiences. And so when we started our company 15 years ago now, and then we pivoted in the enterprise, we just felt like. The future of enterprise software had to look completely different, and it had to resemble much more of a, a consumer quality um, uh, around what business applications would look like in the future. And so that's that's been our our you know basically job number one and, and main goal since we uh, since we pivoted in the enterprise about thirteen years ago. That's right, and your public persona is also like very human and authentic, and you react like normally. Like it feels like you're you're one of us, which is like, you know, we get to we get a chance to see your perspective on Twitter all day long. I mean, you can probably tell I fave almost every one of your tweets, so <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of great. And and you know, I feel like I have some sort of idea of where you're coming from, so I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, as we go through it, we're going to cover three different topics. One is uh, the current situation in the U.S. You know, talk a little politics, talk a little economy. Then we'll move into competing with the tech giants and working in an economy dominated by the tech giants. And we'll wrap up with a segment that will cover the future of work. So let's just start with politics if we can. So your stock price was $9.12 on March 13th, and today it's nearing $18. So it's basically double of, of where it was earlier in the year when the economy was crumbling. Uh, and it's largely due to the fact that the Trump administration has infused a good amount of money, more than $2 trillion, and saved essentially the stock market. Also helps some people uh, who aren't traders, but you know it's definitely a market-oriented stimulus package. So how do you feel about the Trump administration today? Yeah, well, uh, great great question, obviously. Uh, incredibly important given this, again, the, given the, the time that we're in. I, I think that this administration has mishandled uh, almost every element of uh, of of the the pandemic, um, uh, you know, between the health response as well as the economic response, and uh, to your exact point, I think way too much emphasis has been put on how the Nasdaq or the S and P is doing, 
um, uh, and not uh, as much on how are actual small businesses doing, how are actual uh, employees and and, uh, and workers doing throughout the country. So so unfortunately, I think we've got this massive distraction um, of the stock market's performance, which, as you know, is is heavily weighted toward a couple sectors, and importantly, within those sectors, a few companies that are you know you know really driving up the the results of the overall market. Um, uh, to a point of, of it almost being misleading around how well the economy is doing. So I think that unfortunately has been a big distraction. And, um, uh, and, and ultimately, the real essence of the problem is you have a health crisis and you have an economic crisis. And in the health crisis, I think we've basically done almost everything possible um, to, to ensure that we don't recover quickly um, and, uh, and that we don't create the right kind of uh, you know, health standards and social norms and infrastructure in the country to respond to the health crisis. And so that's put the onus more on businesses and, and states and cities. Um, and for something like a health crisis where there's no boundary, there's no territory, there's no um, dividing line on, on politics, um, you really do need a federal response at some point. Um, and that should have been done swiftly in the beginning of this crisis. And I think we know the playbook of what, what largely should have happened um, between mask wearing and setting up the right kind of testing infrastructure and making sure that we had um, the right kind of health norms throughout the country. So that was the health crisis response that, that you know, right out of the gate, I think we got wrong. Um, and shockingly, still in, in August of, of 2020, we're still getting wrong. Um, and then on the economic response, I'm less close to... Um, to all of the, the 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 dynamics here, I think the you know the loans to small affected businesses. I think that was a, a absolutely a noble and important effort. Um, uh, we can point to a tremendous amount of flaws with it around who got money, who didn't get money, all of those issues. But but the swiftness, I think, was at least important. Um, but I do think that that uh, putting more money in the hands of individuals. Um, who are affected by this uh, in terms of if they've had furloughs or job, uh, you know, hour reductions or, or job loss completely. Uh, we do have to get money just into the hands of, of citizens and, um, and people directly. And I think that's um, ultimately where Congress needs to needs to step up. So so I've I, you know, I think I and, and many others in tech have been very conflicted because our businesses are doing well um, because we happen to be digital platforms that are. Uh, are, are, you know, remaining successful during this time because of the fact of, of how our technology, you know, we're, we're, we're only technology um, companies. We don't have much of a physical requirement or, or presence. And so our businesses are doing well. But at the same time, we know that the economy and the health uh, healthcare crisis is very severe in the country. Yeah. And you're, you're a public sector CEO, Aaron. And it's I mean, it must be interesting to be in your shoes and to, you know, obviously you're a critic of the administration, but to see that number tick up. The one that matters, right? The stock number. Uh, your your stock is doing great. So, how does that feel for you internally when you try to balance these two things? Yeah, I think um, uh, it's um, it, you know there there is a little bit of a of a, a, a conflicting tension there, which again is is our business is remaining stable and and um, I think you know relatively strong right now, um, which which I think is is good on its own because we can keep people employed and we can continue to serve our customers and we've had. A very large portion of our customers, um, you know, fundamentally using our product because they have to enable remote work and they have to keep their business operations running. So, so in many respects, our our, our technology is sort of critical to to keeping organizations running. Um, again, to have a, a stock market that is somewhat or or uh, or you know substantively disconnected from uh, from the broader economy, I think, does create that cognitive dissonance sometimes. Um, but honestly, I think. 
whether it's today where maybe our stock is doing you know well on a relative basis or two years ago where we maybe were underperforming the market um, I, our job is you know fundamentally not to pay much attention to the stock price and focus mostly on just execution serving customers making sure employees are are staying safe and healthy right now and that's that's at least how I think about it from a, a pure kind of CEO standpoint yeah it's it's fascinating because the administration has been so focused on keeping this market strong. And of course, you're the beneficiary of that. But then there's also, okay, the customers that you serve, you need people buying your product in order to be able to be a sustainable business that can show the quarterly earnings that, you know, ultimately underpin that number. So you guys are speaking with businesses in the economy all the time. What's the sense that you get in terms of like how the middle, I mean, you know, we know the top of the economy is doing good, especially in the tech sector, but you don't just serve tech companies. So what is your sense in terms of like how the middle and really like the mid-sized you know, small to medium and then small businesses are doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I would say this is such a bizarre experience because um, because it's so dependent on sector and so dependent on um, on where uh, where that organization is, is uh, serving their customers in terms of it could be geographically, it could be where in the supply chain stack do they exist. And so I, I think, you know, across small businesses, mid-sized companies and large enterprises, um, you have, uh, you, you have, it, it's a, it's a very bimodal, um, uh, kind of environment where you have some companies that are doing unbelievably well. We've looked at, um, you've seen some of the earnings from non-tech companies that are in retail, like Target, where they're blowing out all of their numbers. They're having record, you know, same store sales. Um, equally, you'll look at other retailers that maybe don't have as much of a digital presence, or maybe their products are, are a little bit more discretionary in nature. Um, so maybe, you know, fashion or some other kind of retailer and, and, you know, their numbers are decimated. And so in the exact same sector, um, with maybe even in some cases, the exact same digital strategy, you can have completely, uh, two completely different outcomes. The same is true for small and medium businesses. We have some small and medium businesses who happen to be, um, in spaces that are on fire and, and they're growing rapidly. We have some small businesses, some in live entertainment, as an example, some in retail. They must be getting crushed. They're, they're completely crushed. And we've, we've done our best to say, okay, hey, you don't have to pay us right now. Just just kind of you know, hang in there. Um, we'll, we're going to continue to support you. We have nonprofit customers that, that they're not able to do the same level of fundraising or keep operations running because obviously there's less money going into those areas. So so we've had to you know do our part to say okay if you have a, a really effective business we're going to do our part and and make sure that you can s- still use the technology but but at the same time again this is the this is sort of this this cognitive dissonance right now if you're in the tech sector there's probably been more net growth of uh, of technology irrespective of of the the the, the sector specific problems because of the fact that what's happened is so many uh, companies even those that have been impacted have to move to digital platforms to be able to, to to remain successful and to keep their operations running. And so, right. you know, so is this a moment where the tech industry just sort of takes over the economy and doesn't look back? Well, um, I, I think there's a real risk of that. And um, and I think that it's uh, interesting to hear you call it a risk. OK, go ahead. Well, I, I, the risk is, is that is that you basically have um, this dramatic acceleration of uh, of innovation and and digital uh, transformation. And the the it's it's happening in a time scale that is completely unprecedented. And so normally, what would happen is you would have technology get adopted over, you know, five years, ten years, fifteen years, and it would sort of there'd be a certain pace to, to how that adoption would happen and the and the competitive dynamics within the market as that as that played out. Right now, what's happening is that adoption is happening in a, in in a few quarters or a couple of years, and so. 
you know, more than anything, the, the companies that are going to benefit from that digital acceleration are going to be companies that already exist, that already have a customer base, that can serve their existing customers and be able to support them. Um, and so you, you are having a, 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 a fairly artificial acceleration of a marketplace that really has never happened before in, in economic history. And, and, you know, even if you look at the, 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 the case of shelter in place, well, who did shelter in place benefit the most retail wise? Well, Amazon. Amazon. So, so, mm-hmm. so you do have a situation where our existing patterns and the existing companies that are serving us, their, their positions are being reinforced and getting stronger, uh, you know, every day. And, and again, to, to, to call it out, I mean, we, we benefit from that. Like there's, it's probably going to be harder to be a, a, a startup that's competing with us right now because our customers are going to be focused on, you know, how do we go to reliable partners that we're used to working with that we understand and we can trust. And that's going to benefit anybody who, uh, who's been able to, to be well timed for this market. And I do think it's a risk in terms of, of it does reinforce and codify, you know, some of these, um, market positions that, that existed pre pandemic. Um, but, uh, but again, you know, the counter to all of, all of those risks is the fact that these, these companies are serving customers during an unbelievable time of crisis. And so, um, so I do think the, the, it, these are, you know, kind of in many cases, critical infrastructure. And it's important, yeah. and it's important that these products exist, and it's important that they're able to serve their customers successfully. So I'm, I'm of two minds on this situation, right? And it could be that um, this tech acceleration just sort of happened faster than much of the small businesses that have been, you know, waiting to compete with them or waiting to make moves were able to adjust. And now, now they're struggling. It is also interesting, um, you know, because the pace has been so fast. It is also interesting that. Uh, a company like Amazon has now become more reliable than the U.S. Postal Service, but I guess we can, you know, save that discussion for another time. <laughs> One of the things that I really am interested in is um, it, this is the thing that I've been thinking about a lot. I know everyone has, which is like, how are we having a, an economy that's struggling the way it is? Like, we're definitely in a recession. Our unemployment rate is ten percent, and yet the stock market continues to go up. And I know in my head, right, that it just represents the highest performing companies in the economy. Many of them are tech. I think the tech giants, uh, the growth of the tech giants equals the next 50 companies on the S&P 500 right. uh, this year or something like that. Um, but how is it possible that we have such a rough economy and yet the stock market is uh, shooting up the way it is? And we've all read explanations, but I'd love to hear it from from your perspective, someone who runs a company who's who's in the middle of this change. Yeah, I think um, I, I think I have uh, maybe th- just sort of three small buckets of of ideas there, and this is all all based on you know the the same kind of podcasts and videos that both you're doing and that that are out there. So so I I have no kind of proprietary insight, but but I think we'll hear it. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll pretend it's proprietary. Um, yeah. uh, I think there's, I think, I, again, this is, I'm like a, I, I probably got like a, a, a D plus in, um, in microeconomics and macroeconomics in, uh, in college. So, so I, I wouldn't like trust anything I'm saying, uh, in any, uh, uh, in any kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you don't want people serious. to trade off. Don't, this, don't trade off right? of what I'm about to yeah, say. Yeah. Cause especially because I'm sure this podcast will go live and the market will collapse like 30%. And so, <laughs> so nothing that I'm saying will make any sense. So, so I think you've got. I think you have a few big factors. One, um, you have um, uh, you have a flight from an investment standpoint into the things that that actually can have returns, and so so money is moving out of other uh, 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 you know from other other places where you might invest, um, uh, where there might be you know now really really low interest rates, and you want to move that into 
um, into the stock market uh, to drive better uh, better returns. And so you have money moving in um, uh, to the market in some cases just because it's the it's the only place where you can actually drive returns. Um, the, the second thing is you have uh, the, just the fact that I think big organizations are actually holding up better than anybody anticipated. And, and mostly it's big organizations in the, in the stock market because um, there's just a certain kind of scale that you have to get to before you're a public company. And so if you think about, um, you know, if you think about the, you know, Procter and Gamble, Target, um, the large banks, um, uh, you know, th- these organizations are actually, uh, are, are experiencing record revenues and profits in some cases, uh, simply because of just the, in some cases, they, they offer necessary products um, that are staples. And so you just have to buy soap and you have to buy food. Um, and so their, their, their businesses aren't going away. And, um, uh, and the government, again, is, is, has at, at times done a good job of, of, of making sure that, uh, uh, that individuals have enough money to be able to afford those things. And so you have money getting pumped into those, uh, into those organizations. And so, um, because, because so much of the, of, of the kind of S&P or NASDAQ is represented by a lot of these sort of staples, um, uh, uh, organizations that are selling these staples and we, and we continue to need them. And on a relative basis, the airlines or the car companies make up a smaller portion, uh, of the overall stock market. You, you basically, um, don't have as much, you have a muted impact. By the sectors that are most impacted relative to the sectors that are continuing to perform incredibly well. So that's kind of category number two. And then I think category three is specific to technology. And um, and, wh- and whether you're looking at the big, you know, four or five technology companies that, that are, you know, above a trillion dollars um, or the rise of, you know, companies like Tesla or the NVIDIAs of the world um, or the cloud sector. So Atlassian and Splunk and all these companies, I think there's just a broader recognition, which is, which is that the markets that these companies are serving are are potentially billions of of uh, consumers globally, and the barriers to getting to those billions of consumers have gone down dramatically in the past five or ten years, and so the durability of that those investments um, have has actually gone up on a relative basis because of the fact that they're all digital, they don't require in person uh, interaction, and the markets for these uh, for these organizations are just so much larger than. Um, than ever before. And so it's, it's, it's sort of ironic because if you went back five or 10 or 15 years ago and you kind of looked at like the Warren Buffett, you know, style of investing, which is, which is, you know, what's a very stable business where, you know, anybody could run the company and it's going to survive and it doesn't really, it's not very volatile. Well, actually, in some cases, those businesses have been the worse off, um, uh, in, uh, in this environment, you know, airlines where, where you just sort of, you, you imagine that every single year, People are going to take air, air flights, you know, one percent more than last year, and it's just a very stable business, and you eke out profits. Um, and uh, and it's actually those businesses where uh, where you have the, the greatest risk, and and the companies that we normally think of as being sort of very volatile to innovation and disruption, um, the Apples, the Facebooks, the Googles of the world, those have actually been performing the best um, just because of the durability of their business models in this time. So I think those those three factors, and maybe others that that, that you know of, I think. Um, allow. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say allow for the market to to exceed or be disconnected from the broader economy. Right, and I mean, I, I don't think you gave yourself enough credit at the beginning of that answer because I think that was like pretty comprehensive and, and spot on. Oh, it is God. a very very interesting economy. If I'm hearing it right, what you're saying is that like we're living in an economy right now that's largely driven by tech. Uh, that seems to have a market that's working well. Right, when that market will translate to people's pensions and retirement funds. Um, and one that's just accelerating from, um, may, I mean, maybe I'm 
kind of over my skis a little bit on this, but accelerating from uh, a small and medium-sized business, you know, driven economy, or it wasn't really even driven. It was definitely healthier operating to one that is now going largely into technology, largely into big, big tech companies. Uh, yeah, I think that that is absolutely a big part of it. And I think, um, you know, it's interesting. Right. Uh, there, there's this connection back uh, in some way to, um, you know, uh, interestingly, interestingly enough, I think actually, um, uh, in, if you if you look at like, you know, what Andrew Yang was was pushing on and and obviously UBI, uh, it was interesting because what the biggest fear was, was automation. Um, was going to start to drive out all of yeah, these. No one predicted a pandemic. Exactly. And, and, and exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so now. But they've had the same impact. Same, same exact impact. And it's almost actually, it's interesting. It's almost actually, it, it's almost actually a, a simulation of what, what actually does this sort of end state look like of, of a very technology driven economy. And we just got to it way faster than anybody imagined. And so the result is, is actually what, um, uh, you know, again, maybe, maybe we could have theorized about, but. But you can actually have a situation where some small set of companies does unbelievably well. Um, uh, and, and the companies that are in that supply chain can likely do very, very well. But then you're going to have a lot of businesses that are, that are impacted and a lot of jobs that are impacted because of that. So by definition, then you actually do need some form of, of uh, uh, support and government safety net because there's just, there just doesn't like they're just, the jobs just don't exist. And so fundamentally- right, which is what we've, we've had that with the CARES Act. And I, and I think that what you're describing now is the Trump economy, right? And so I'm curious from your standpoint, is the Trump economy sustainable? Um, maybe you could just define Trump economy for me. So I, I, uh, I build on the right point of that. Right. Okay. I mean, let's sum it up, right? One that's definitely driven by technology. Um, one where the market does well, even if the rest of the economy isn't doing great. Um, I mean, yeah, that's that one that's led by a handful of companies at the top, uh, and everybody else is just getting the uh, you know getting the downstream effects from that. Yeah, I guess I, I wouldn't necessarily associate Trump with that. Um, I would say that that is, I mean, again, we can debate for better or worse, but that that is where the economy. Oh, forget the label. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is this economy sustainable? Absolutely not. Um, this this economy is definitely not sustainable. But again, the the it's hard to separate the pandemic element of this. And so, what would the natural what would today's natural economy be like if people could get out of their houses and go support businesses? Um, and 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 so, what I guess what I was saying is like we're simulating kind of complete automation. But this is we're not actually simulating what people want the economy to look like. I think people want to go out to restaurants and they want to go out to small businesses and they want to. To, to be able to do a lot of these things that, that can't get automated. We just happen to be forced into that right now. So I don't think that this, I mean, there's, there's no question that this economy can, can, that you can't sustain what we're experiencing right now. At the same time, I actually don't think people want this to be the economy. I don't think, you know, government or businesses want this to be what the economy looks like. And I think anybody, any of these large tech companies would probably trade, you know, some X percent of their market cap to be able to return back to a more normal environment that that where people could you know support more businesses and and you could be mobile and we could actually have a little bit more of a of of normalcy. I don't think anybody's happy. I just think the the stock market happens to um uh to 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 again be disconnected from the the, the sort of lived experience of most people right now. Right, uh, and, and we'll see what happens when everything comes back. Uh, but I'm curious. Okay, we're a couple months away from. The November election. What do you think happens in November? Wait, I, and, and the only thing I just let me let me just say one one more one more thought. Yeah, I guess yeah. go. For I it. guess the to me the the nuance is I don't think that I, I like it is is basically separating the economy from the stock market. It's like 
like mm. like what we've mostly just talked about right now is why the stock market is is at all time highs. Yeah, yeah. No, so, I want to hear about the economy at large. Yeah, yeah. The, the, like, the, is this the, economy this sustainable? This economy is absolutely unsustainable, and it is. Right. And you have to you have to have government stimulus. You have to have um, you have to have higher taxes. You have to have job programs. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you'd have to do um, uh, to, to make sure that we can support the, the broader economy. Totally. And I wonder, that's, I guess what I was getting at is like, we're now seeing an economy where the middle, I mean, I firmly believe you need the middle and the bottom of the economy to be strong, can't be led 100%. entirely by the top. And I just wonder what happens when we come back uh, from this, you know, if we come back from it right. and whether or not that is going to be evenly distributed because we've run the simulation, but now we're living in it. it, it that's exactly right. And and I think that to me, the, the, the thing that right now is, is we should um, you know, with the CARES Act and, and you know, uh, uh, you know, not to get overly political, but but if a different um, administration, you know, enters in and, and we um, and we end up, you know, having even more programs that can support, you know, workers, then then actually we can start to model out like what what is the sustainable way to fund this? And, you know, where do those dollars come from? Is it higher corporate taxes? Is it higher income taxes? Um, and then you can actually get to a point where you can understand, like, what's a sustainable version of this? Yeah, because right now we're just printing money and the value of the dollar is dropping, something that's not talked about very much. And it doesn't seem like that's a very good route to do it. Like we have to create something that can last versus just increase the monetary supply. Okay, I want to ask you before we wrap up this segment on politics, uh, what do you think happens in November? Um, <laughs> well, uh, I was wrong last time, so um, so I, I don't have a great read on, uh, on these things. Um, what I would just say is that um, I think we need to uh, we need to re return to um, a, a better model of governance in the country. We need to return to a better model of of uh, supporting you know all all classes of citizens, um, and we need to return to a model where where you know we get out of, of campaign mode all the time and uh, and we focus on you know building up the country uh, and you know for again all all of the, the people in the country. And so, um, so that's what I'm hoping for. And, um, okay. I, I, you sound like a Biden voter. Uh, that might be the case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, I'd wonder if there, if, if Biden does win, um, whether there's going to be a peaceful, no, actually I, I was going to wrap up, but I want to ask you this, um, all the stuff about the mail-in voting and voter fraud and like Trump, obviously trying to, uh, sort of discredit the, the results of the election before a single vote is cast. What does that do from a business standpoint? Does that create some turbulence that makes your job more difficult to do? I, I, I think um, uh, right now that hasn't uh, it, that has not seemed to have seeped into the business uh, kind of community or the business context um, uh, thus far. I mean, obviously, if in November we have a protracted um, battle for for you know who's who's in charge of the government, that could be very disruptive. Um, uh, you know, in terms of world trade and. Um, and overall, you know, kind of how how the um, uh, you know how businesses sort of think about what what's the you know what direction is the country going in. But right now, that has not been a a, a sort of a corporate issue. It's obviously an issue of of you know personal concern, um, but um, uh, but it hasn't uh, hasn't gone farther than that. Okay, when we come back with Aaron Levy, CEO of Box, we're going to talk a little bit more about what it's like competing in a world that the tech giants dominate. And we're also going to read some of his tweets and have him react. So hope you uh, stay tuned and we'll be, we'll be back right after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, 
TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Okay, and we're back here with Box CEO Aaron Levy, a man who uh, is so well known, <laughs> so well liked, I think, in the tech industry. Oh, God. Uh, that we don't need to spend an hour going through his credentials, although you can certainly uh, look him up. He runs a great enterprise technology company uh, and has this amazing view into the economy, which we've been talking about. Um, and, you know, one of the other things that he does is, you know, living, he's living in a world where he's competing with the tech giants, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google, and Microsoft, which dominate the tech economy and anyone has to, you know, reckon with when they're working today. So Aaron, what's, have, have the tech giants, are they sort of like a frenemy for you? Have they been more helpful, more hurtful? What's your relationship been like with them? And do you want to be competing in an economy that they control the way that they do? Yeah, well, this is a lot, lot to unpack there. What I would say is that um, I, I prefer the term uh, co-opetition. So, um, uh, you know, we, we are in an environment where you simultaneously have to cooperate and partner with, uh, with many of these large scale technology companies, as well as you're going to compete in particular categories against them. Um, uh, you know, for, for customer demand. And, um, and, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, we, we have a unique perspective because we're enterprise focused. And so some of the things that play out in, um, in the outside world that are more uh, pertinent to consumer companies, we don't face directly. Um, yeah, you're not worried about getting booted off the app store. Uh, for, for, you know, for the most part, we, we, uh, we adhere to all the policies and we have a, a very, um, a very uh, pleasant experience and, uh, and partnership uh, on that front. So, um, so I think, you know, for us, what we care deeply about is I think the number one, the number one angle we have is, um, uh, we, we are very, very focused on a future state where customers have choice around the products that they use. And the, the ability to move their data between different products and the ability to have uh, some degree of interoperability between uh, services that just fundamentally need to connect to one another that come from different technology providers. And so, um, and so that, that's our, our sort of stance on this. I actually think um, it's very healthy to have a very competitive uh, marketplace, which includes incumbents that can launch competitive products. I think it forces startups to... To, to be at their best, it forces companies to have to continue to innovate and better serve customers. So, so I think, you know, by and large, I actually think that, that the environment that we're in is a healthy one in terms of, of startups are constantly trying to find the angles that the incumbent isn't going to be able to, to go and solve for. The incumbent has the ability to try and catch up, um, to better serve their customers. And you, and you continue to have this sort of back and forth that, that drives more innovation, drives better customer value. Um, over time, and so, so I think that's uh, to me the, the the high level view of the market. You do have specific circumstances or situations where clearly the government probably needs to have some degree of of consideration for um, what I would what I was, what I struggle with right now is that I haven't yet seen um, any really great or logical proposals of what that would look like, and so we have a lot of 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 sort of uh, conversation and noise around the idea of big tech, and you have to regulate big tech. But we don't have a lot of um, more precise solutions that 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 really can be practical to adhere to, and that would would not um, over engineer the, the 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 regulation to the point where you hobble an incumbent, or even maybe worse in some cases where you actually yeah the government could just 
go ahead. I mean, the government could just level the economy with some poorly thought out regulations. Well, that's exactly right. Like you, you could take the you could take the thing that that Amer- that is probably the the our greatest long term competitiveness in America, which is our innovation economy. And you could decimate the ability to to actually get to real scale um, on a global basis, and that would work against us as a country vastly more than um, than for us. And so, so this is a very difficult and, and tricky situation because because you have you know you have a dimension of uh, in the U.S. you want companies to be able to be very competitive with one another, and make sure consumers have choice, and make sure that startups can emerge. On a global basis, you want to make sure that you're not hobbling. You know your 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 economy and um and, and effectively um you know handicapping the um the, the success of these these firms and so I think you've got there's a lot of considerations and and this is why I think the government has to tread very carefully on these topics. It's a different perspective that you offer than one uh, you typically hear about these companies talking about how smaller companies find the gaps and push push forward and innovate and that pushes the tech giants and the tech giants pushes them. Mostly what we hear in public is that the tech giants will squash smaller competitors. And as soon as they find a business there, they're going to go in and grab it. Uh, so why do you think the way you do, while it seems like the conventional wisdom thinks the other way? I think, um, and again, this is not to say that I'm anti-regulation, because actually I think there are very particular problems, but I think you have to work backwards from what is the real problem we're trying to solve and then and then what is the right type of regulation to solve that problem. So that. That aside for one second, we're happy to loop back of like what that could look like. I think the reality is, is that, um, is that I'm not quite sure in some of the proposals that we've seen around breaking up big tech or you can't do acquisitions of a certain scale. The part that I don't quite understand is how we're imagining that, that we want these companies to be able to, to continue to sustain their operations. I mean, is the idea that Facebook basically can't own Instagram or can't buy WhatsApp and then thus and you you basically can just guarantee their disruption over time. Like if you can't if you can't match the functionality of of your disruptive competitor, that could you know quite literally spell the fact that your business is is not going to exist in the future. That's how disruption works. And so I just don't know how how the government is sort of anticipating simultaneously letting these companies continue to thrive and and succeed over time and um, and build great products that consumers like, while also at the same time making sure that they that they can never get into you know, particular categories. Well, um, I mean, you could also you could also invent internally um, versus acquire externally. You could, but it's in some cases it's, it's harder. Yeah, it, well, well, actually, I'm, I'm uh, you absolutely can do that, but but the in, in some cases I'm not clear that that is is good for either consumers or the economy either. Um, mm-hmm. If you think about what what it would mean for big tech to not be able to make acquisitions. I'm not positive that that you'd get the same level of venture capital or uh, the same the same volume of startups yep. entering this cuts off the exit like, path because now you have to basically believe that that every category that a startup enters is going to be able to be a sustained long term independent company and that's not the case for all innovation you know sometimes you're you're really just experimenting because you know that maybe at the end of it you you do have a path to get acquired by Facebook or Google or Apple um, and so I think if you if you basically cut that off. Um, you have a huge risk, which is, which is, are we going to be able to sustain the, the same volume of innovation and, and startups? And so, so I, this is a, this is why this mm-hmm. is a, 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 a topic I, I personally struggle with because as an entrepreneur, um, you know, you definitely always get really, really uh, upset whenever a, a bigger company copies one of your features. Conversely, actually, as an entrepreneur, uh, I, you know, uh, you know, would hope that one day if Box was ever considered so large that, that like, you know, we had antitrust concerns 
that I would still be able to have a path where we could we could make sure that we don't get disrupted and, and that we could continue to build a viable company that can serve our customers. And you don't want the government to basically effectively mandate that a company can't remain competitive. And right, uh, but what about what about the other way around? Also, I mean, your market cap is in the two and a half billion range. Um, cloud is a place where the tech giants are all fighting it out. Microsoft, Apple. Uh, Google is in there. Amazon, like, could you ever see Box joining forces with one of those companies? And would something like the current, uh, you know, antitrust, anti-tech uh, giant feelings right now sort of cut that path off? Um, well, you'd probably get a premium on your shares if one of those guys came knocking. <laughs> well, I, um, I probably can't use this podcast to uh, uh, to describe future, uh, you know, kind of uh, business outcomes uh, of that sort. But what I would say is that, um, you know, Box aside. Um, I, I do think that it becomes very, very hard for some of these larger technology companies to to enter categories where, you know, even they have customers that are saying, hey, we really need you to support us in this particular space. And that company is looking out at the market and um, and they might have this really difficult choice of of are they even able to buy something or uh, and then conversely, if they go and compete with one of the independent companies in the market, is it going to be considered? Oh well, now you're just building a copycat feature. Yeah, and so you kind of you almost impair the the sort of ability for the natural competitive forces to play out in the industry. And it was interesting because because um, I, I you know the I think there's a lot of problems with Facebook uh, to be clear, especially in the state of social media uh, and online harassment. The uh, uh, you know how Trump uses these platforms. So so I am not a um, I'm definitely not a Facebook apologist. However, um, it was interesting in the in the congressional hearings. Um, you know, they read out some of of the either emails or text messages from from you know Zuck uh, talking about the Instagram acquisition and sort of there was this innuendo, which is that we're either going to have to compete with you or buy you. And the government sort of saw that as a threat of like ex- it's extortion, which is like you either sell us uh, this product or 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 we have to go compete with you. And and the interesting thing though is is that. You know, despite what Zuck texted, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sistrum, uh, the reality was that that is actually his only option, right? He either, the truth. He, if, if mm-hmm. photos are leaving the Facebook platform and he needs to make sure that they are a great photo sharing tool, they're going to have to be competitive. And, and all he was kind of giving Kevin the choice of is that like, we're going to have to compete and that has certain, you know, implications for your business. You should know about those. Um, or we're happy to try and figure out how to strike a deal. And again, you could read that as as extortion of of having to acquire a business, but I don't really know any other practical way for that conversation to play out because the only alternative is that he doesn't say that to Kevin. They launch an Instagram competitor. Kevin then thinks that okay, well, you just copied me, and and like that's like that's just also you know it's not clear how that one is supposed to end up. So so I think I, I just think that that you know some of these things they end up you know feeling like like okay, we've got to go chase the the most aggressive solution possible but it's really really important that you think through what are the possible implications downstream if you over rotate toward regulation in some of these categories and i don't think that that anybody would say what we want the technology industry to look like is the airline industry or um or the you know the three or four big telecom giants that we have in the country and that's that is the risk of over regulation as you get to that point mm-hmm. and so i think we have to balance you know the, the very particular points of regulation that matter so when customers have their data in these platforms, do they have the ability to get the data out of these platforms? Um, is their privacy um, uh, able to be controlled in a way that keeps them safe and protected? Um, are they able to, uh, you know, have very kind of clear choice when when they don't want to use one of the defaulted products of one of these vendors that that kind of comes for free in one of their offerings? Like you have to be like that's 
sort of the, the type of regulation we should be looking at, not generic sort of banning M&A or breaking up some of these technology companies. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fascinating perspective. Okay, we're going to uh, read your tweets when we come back <laughs> from the break, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the future of work. So thanks, everyone, for listening up until this point. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm DC Marshall. Hi, I'm Mita Malik. We are the co-host of the Brown Table Talk podcast, where we discuss how to help women of color thrive in their workplaces. And we invite allies to join us to help women of color win at work. We have a seat waiting for you. Subscribe to Brown Table Talk wherever you enjoy podcasts. And we're back here with Box CEO, Aaron Levy. And Aaron, it's time to read some of your tweets. It's what I do all day long, read your tweets and try to think, hey, what's he what's he saying here? Because uh, I feel like you have no problem calling bullshit on the tech industry uh, and probably its critics. So I, I, I picked out a few that I thought we could just read out quickly and maybe you can answer with your like expanding on them. <laughs> okay, this, could, this um, could be very dangerous, by the way. I have no idea where this is going. Oh, that's that's why I decided oh, to great. do it. Um, I'll give you a minute each to respond on each one of these. Um, okay, so the first one, uh, the conventional wisdom on Apple for the past decade is that they needed to enter a completely new market to grow. As the, world, as the world's first $2 trillion company, it turns out continuing to build better and better products and services works just fine. Uh, no, I mean, this one is, uh, you know, if you remember the past kind of 10 years or so, there was always this commentary of, you know, Apple has to get into cars, they have to buy Tesla, they have to buy Disney, they have to buy Time Warner. Um, these are the only ways that they're going to be able to continue to grow. And I think what Apple has proven out is actually like, continue to build amazing products, build ecosystems around those products, whether those are in payments or, um, or, or media or, you know, new, new just underlying features in the OS. Um, and they've, they've been able to to prove out that there's a very, very large scale, in fact, the largest company in the world, uh, viable business model in, in just continuing to hone, continue to optimize, build around adjacencies without having to do what a lot of the analysts were, were thinking they had to do, which is you have to enter $100 billion market categories um, if you're going to want to continue to scale and survive. Yeah. And we'll see what happens with that market cap, but I mean, <laughs> it is... It's it's impressive and and definitely has proven me wrong at least in the short term. Okay, so the the teens on TikTok have no idea that they found themselves smack in the middle of a multi decade long battle for the future of database architectures. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I love this. Oh, one. This, this, well, this one was very esoteric, so um, uh, so I, I I probably shouldn't have even gotten this one out there. But um, uh, this, no, this is great. Uh, it gave me good fodder for the podcast. Oh, great. So, but yeah, go okay, ahead. Okay, well, well, this is when um, when it was rumored that Oracle. Was also looking at TikTok and um, uh, and uh, and there's a, it's just a um, uh, again a little bit of an esoteric point of uh, Oracle and Microsoft for about uh, 25 plus years, um, actually probably longer, maybe 30 years, have been battling um, in uh, in the database world uh, and uh, and in infrastructure in general, and so um, and so it's uh, it's interesting at this point. I mean, it's beyond interesting. It's actually just like like absurd. Um, that the two primary bidders of TikTok, at least, you know, that are in the news are enterprise software companies by and large. Um, and so that's just a, a very confusing mashup to me. Yeah. Have you guys looked into buying TikTok? Absolutely. So um, and uh, okay. and then we uh, we we ended we, we, <laughs> we ended looking at it about three seconds later. 
Okay. All right. This is a scoop, by the way. Fox is considered. All right. We'll make sure to make it the headline. Great. Okay. Here we go. Uh, you know, the pandemic is deeply affecting you when you drive by a golf course and think maybe that could be fun. Um, well, uh, I don't want to offend any golfers, but um, uh, I've, I've generally tweets out there. I've generally, yeah, I, I've generally felt that's about the most boring sport on the planet. Um, and, uh, uh, and so um, somehow last week uh, I was just driving around and um, and actually was like, wow, like imagine being outside for a couple hours and just like hitting a ball. Uh, that sounds actually kind of enjoyable. And then um, and then that was a very fleeting thought, much like the TikTok acquisition. And uh, I moved on with my life. OK, so we'll have Box CEO considers uh, buying TikTok also playing. <laughs> be a good headline. Uh, OK, um, and this was about uh, Facebook Reels. Uh, you have to hand it to Facebook. They sure do know how to compete when it matters most. Yeah, I think, um, and this kind of goes back to the prior point, which is, which is, uh, you know, Facebook. Facebook is a company where, you know, um, it's it's interesting in the tech industry for decades now. We have always talked about this idea of the innovator's dilemma, and the innovator's dilemma is really simple, which is, as you get bigger as a company, you you begin to sort of lose, um, uh, uh, you, you begin to uh, overbuild your product and, un- and, and overserve your customers, which means that then some other competitor can come in and do something different or new or fresh uh, and then go and disrupt you. And, and it's interesting because for now decades, we've talked about the idea of like, why is it that these incumbents continue to, to fail at the innovator's dilemma? Like it's an obvious problem. It's a known thing. Like why does Blockbuster get disrupted by Netflix? Why does Walmart get disrupted by Amazon? And so you're finally seeing a crop of technology companies between Google, Facebook, Amazon, and others that actually have this idea built into the DNA of the organization. And they, they do not want to lose their position. And they know exactly how to lose their position because they themselves got into their uh, leading position because they were disruptive. And so somebody like Zuck doesn't want to let that happen to Facebook. And so it's when they, when they really understand that there's an existential threat to their product or a major market opportunity that they have to respond to i.e. the banning of TikTok, as an example, they move very quickly and very swiftly. And I think as an entrepreneur, you kind of look at that and you have a, a lot of respect for, for the organization's ability to respond to those moments um, and, uh, and then be able to remain successful and, and very competitive. Totally. Facebook's longevity is like one of the most befuddling things to me as a reporter covering the tech giants because they are in the most fickle yeah. of all industries, which is social media. Like you look a couple of years ago, TikTok was the big thing. And not TikTok, um, well, HQ trivia, right? Everyone was saying HQ trivia is the future of everything, and now it's gone. <laughs> and it happened in a blink of an eye. Okay, one last uh, tweet, um, and then we're gonna have like a minute for for future of work. But I'm excited to ask a question about that. Um, okay, here it is. I have yet to run into a business strategy problem that can't be solved by a pyramid shape or a flywheel. <laughs> um, I, I mean, this one is. Uh, uh, these are. Just, I just. I just want to apologize on behalf of all listeners um, about the tweet about which tweets you've chosen. Um, uh, so uh, this is a yeah, it's a fun selection. I, I just happened to be um, uh, leaving an, uh, a Zoom uh, corporate strategy review call and um, uh, where basically the solution to the, the strategy was uh, we, we just drew out a pyramid. And um, and then that, that kind of clarified our business problem to everybody on the call. Um, and so <laughs> and then and then since then, um, I found myself putting everything into a, a pyramid shape uh, strategically. And it's actually uh, solve so many of our internal problems is amazing. This is great. Okay. So things, all the problems at, at Box are, are on their way to being solved. <laughs> Not like there are many, but um, once you deploy the pyramid strategy, I think you're- All you need is, all you need is a pyramid. 
All you need is a pier or a flywheel. Or a flywheel. Uh, but the best part is we can put the flywheel diagram into a pyramid and then you're really cooking with grease. Actually, if you have pyramids that, that <laughs> are components of the flywheel, that's even better. I would actually recommend that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. We have like two minutes left. I feel bad. I've left like the future of work stuff for the end. <laughs> um, but I'm just going to ask you, I think, what the most important question is, which is you're a pretty hands-on CEO. I know you like to walk around the office and spend time with your employees. Now that you're so distant from everyone, how can you, um, you know, keep your leadership style uh, in play and, and how do you keep morale up in the company? Yeah, I think, um, you know, moving to completely virtual and remote has, has been a huge adjustment for, for so many of our, our, our employees and, and me especially, because I do like to kind of walk around and get a sense of, of what's going on in the organization, how people are doing, what they're working on, all of that. And so you've had to move that to virtual and obviously you can't fully, you know, kind of replicate a lot of that, that type of interaction style. I think the, the, the part that I've, I've, um, I found to be compelling about virtual and remote is the fact that you can actually bring together disparate parts of the business um, in a much more seamless and interactive way. And so, um, and so for the, while there have been trade-offs of the ability to get everybody together in person, um, we've been able to actually be able to pull together people from across the business that otherwise would not have come together. Um, and so we've got many teams and many projects internally where you have things like a um, hundred people in a Slack channel all working on a project that normally you would have maybe only had five or 10 people on that project and they would be stuck in a conference room and it would be the exact same five or 10 people looking at the exact same problem from the same angle. And now you've all of a sudden blown that out and more people can participate and begin to work on that that uh, that initiative. And so there's a lot of things about going virtual, not necessarily remote, but virtual that I think are actually beneficial to collaboration and productivity and innovation. It would be great if you could experience this out of, out of you know, uh, uh, more voluntarily as opposed to out of a, a pandemic, um, but it has been meaningful in terms of how we work and how we operate it at, uh, at Box. Aaron Levy, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a great conversation. Really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I know it's a risk. It's like the beginning <laughs> of this uh, podcast and uh, it's just great speaking with you and I hope you'll come back again. Thanks, Alex. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, please uh, rate the podcast if you can and subscribe to it, share it with a friend and we will see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.